Welcome, welcome to another episode of In the Chair with Bear. I'm your host, Anthony Bear. Today we have Stan Slap sitting in the chair. Stan Slap is a New York Times bestselling author and expert on business culture. He wrote Under the Hood and Bury My Heart Conference Room B. He's sitting in here with us talking about how he started his company and got into business culture in the first place. He has the coolest view I have ever heard on business culture. I think you guys are really going to dig this one. So He's also got a really cool voice. <laughs> so thanks for being here. As always, you're in the chair. Hello, hello, hello. Here we are with Stan Slap, founder of Slap Company and also a New York Times bestselling author. And um, I am really fascinated. Slap, Stan, we've gotten to know each other over the years, several years now. And um, I was just watching this thing from Richard Branson the other day about his approach to sort of business. And he broke it down into... He said somebody did a contest. I think it was Hemingway did a contest where he said, write a story in six words and have it mean something. And his story was five words and it was, screw it, let's do it. <laughs> that was his story. <laughs> and that reminded me of you a little bit of your approach to kind of creating what you've created, which I see as a little bit of a disruptor and sort of business and culture. Can you can you tell our listeners a little about what you what you're doing and what you've created? Yeah, sure. I mean, the the elevator pitch for what we what we do as a company, what I do is maximize the commitment of the three groups that decide the success of any business, which we define as your employee culture, your manager culture and your customer culture. And what I know is how these cultures really work and how to get yours to really work for you. Um, I mean, I, if, if we're in that zone, I am doing an elegant runway walk uh, uh, on the savant side, but there are steep cliffs of ignorance and idiocy on both. On, so as long as I stay on the runway, I'm fabulous and we'll have a great hour. Anything else, I have no idea what I'm talking about, although I have a very strong opinion about everything else. So, uh, I love it. Well, that, yeah, that's what we do. And culture is the most overused, least understood concept in business. And, and so, it we, is overused. I mean, I would say culture is like everywhere now. Everyone's talking about culture. Culture is the thing, business culture. But you've been doing this for a, a lot longer than that's been a thing, right? Yeah, a lot longer. Wow. When did you get? When did you start doing the about 20, business culture? Twenty-five route? years ago. About twenty-five years ago. Um, yeah. When we started, when we started as a company, uh, we were just a bunch of consulting sluts. We would do anything at any time for anybody. You know, and, and the people would go. So, is this what you do? Yes, that's totally. That is exactly what we do. Really, we have to wear that outfit. We'll wear the outfit. Okay. <laughs> but uh, when we started the company, uh, even we were kind of a, to switch metaphors or kind of an unguided missile. Um, uh, I knew a couple of things. I knew I wanted us to be a great company. Otherwise, what's the point of suiting up? And, and, uh, 
I knew that whatever we did, I didn't want anybody else to be doing the same thing, at least not the way we did. Um, and uh, great, great companies, any great company, you can be an entrepreneur just working by yourself. You can build a company. You can manage in a company, run a company. But great companies, great organizations are started by a deranged radical or a group of deranged radicals who have a hardcore point of view about what's right with the world that must be protected, wrong with the world that must be corrected. And they bring that to the, the company at Genesis. Um, the, the same time the original value prop is being decided, they bring this, this strong opinion because they bring it, they bring it to the supermarket. They bring it every place they go. They're just hyper aware of this. Um, it can't sit still about. So even if it in its earliest incarnation, the business is conceived of, at least in part, as a delivery vehicle to build a better world. Even if you're just selling office furniture, you know, it's, we're selling it, you're buying it, let's saddle up together, you know, in charge of these windmills. And, uh, and the, did you the, consider yourself a deranged radical back in the day? I, then you, were, you, were... I, you should see the Interpol file. Um, <laughs> I'm not just saying this. Okay. Um, <laughs> authorities in all 50 states. Was uh, it, was it you, just you on your own or were you, did you have a little group? I, you were, I, you were... I had a little, little group of, of reprobates and, you know, escapees and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, yeah, uh, I did. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, if, if you're going to be driven by passion, Baron, I know you feel the same way in your business. Um, there are two dependable sources of passion. Again, what's right with the world that must be protected and what's wrong with the world that must be corrected. Ours is kind of rage driven. So it's very dependable. Um, and, uh, in the early days, I started to surface an opinion that, that I didn't even realize was related to the business. It was just an opinion that about business, that nobody should be diminished by business, working in it or buying from it. Because, I mean, if that happens to you, Ed, that's not going to stay in business. If you're made to feel small uh, it, buying from a company or working in a company, that's going to jump the fence and follow you home. And and the, the impact is incalculable um, for people. And so the, it became kind of a mantra, like, Nobody should be diminished by business working in it or buying from it. We weren't talking about culture. We weren't talking about anything at that point. And uh, it became like this round. It just became this thing in our company. And I thought at some point, man, we got to go public with this, right? Yeah. And uh, so uh, we had a client that was was one of uh, the top two or three IT companies in the world, even back then. And we were doing a lot of work with their CEO and, and uh, they were kind of notorious for just not really caring that much about humanity um, unless I could weaponize it. Um, and uh, But I had this meeting and, and we were working all the time with their executive team and this was the day I was gonna come out with this thing. So we're in the meeting. So you got like the executive team of a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar company. And I said, listen, before we get started, I think there's one thing we can all agree on, and that is nobody should be diminished by business, working in it or buying from it. And the meeting just stopped. Everybody just stopped. Then look, was looking at me, and I was like, yes! And then I made eye contact with the guy sitting right across the table from me, and he was going like, like it stopped because I couldn't figure out how to put this into the revenue picture that they had, and so until I could just dismiss it. And I remember leaving that meeting, heading back to our office, going, man, 
there is a multi multi billion dollar for profit company that that accords no importance to this whatsoever. So if we're going to have to, if we're going to do something about this, we better be able to make the business case. And that led me to culture because culture is where the humans gather in business. But yeah. nobody, nobody knew anything about culture, Bear. Nobody, nobody, like they don't know it now. They certainly didn't know it then. So I had to go from that point and, and proceed to where we are now. How do you think it got, it gets to that point? Like, how do you think it got to the point? I mean, obviously, I was I was listening to this thing. I mean, it is Black History Month, and I was listening to this thing uh, the other day that really all business was built on the same idea that slavery, of slavery. And it was kind of like this, it's this sort of theory or something that, you know, hey, well, the labor force basically was slavery. It was all built, it was all just like a, a, a version of slavery extended out where you have some really wealthy aristocrat controlling the masses or in some way and sort of, you know, using that labor force for their own benefit. And I wonder it, I, I wonder what your take is on like, why are, why did we create so much business that diminishes people this way? Like, yeah, it's amazing. It, it's just amazing. And I, I, I would add to that, um, Naomi Klein years ago, um, wrote this book where uh, she typed uh, business as if it was a human being and she said, if it was a human being and you deconstruct how business in general, not every business, but how business in general operates, it would be a sociopath. No, you know, amoral, not necessarily immoral, but amoral and, and narcissistic and um, with, with, with only feigned empathy, if at all. And uh, yeah, how did it come that become that way? I mean, I think there's there's a lot of reasons and, and multiple stakeholders and and uh, mm -hmm. uh, short term rewards and and uh, and th there's all kinds of unhealthy motivators uh, for that and the imbalance of of, of income distribution from what mm -hmm. the company earns and and all kinds of stuff. But I think the bigger the bigger impact again is it's not just business that that is like this. It's the what happens to people in the business and involved with the business that is that is so terrible. Um the the dehumanization of people in business treating other people in a certain way. And yeah. just that loss and the fact that if you let that leak out, it's pretty tough to put it back. Like I said, it jumps a fence and follows you home. And uh, and that's that's a real horror. You, you know, if you if you look at the organizing frameworks for humanity, there's the small ones. You have your family, right? You have mm -hmm. your family, your friends, maybe your your community. But when it comes to the the big ones in terms of size and scope, there's only three. There's politics. <laughs> Yeah. So I just skip the humanity there. There's religion. Some would argue that it's leaking and 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 be and fouling its own greater purpose. And there's business. Yeah. Those are the three. So if we lose humanity in business, we're doomed. Um, if we save it, then we've saved ourselves. But um, that's why we decided to play where we play because it's not just business being done wrong. And clearly, any right-minded human being would go that's just wrong you don't have to do that you shouldn't do that and it's stupid because the embedded cost of doing business badly and so you have to advertise more and sell more and discount more because you're just not 
getting legitimate human response. It's not just that. It's all the human beings affected by that. That's interesting. I mean, I think if you if you look at it that way, even what you said earlier, that all businesses were created by deranged lunatics with a deeper purpose, with some sort of deeper purpose. All great. If business. you look at if all great businesses, but if yeah. you look at it that way, I mean, you know, the purpose, even if it has a genuine purpose, it can somehow get distorted over the long run, right? Like over, over years. I mean, just look at the words of Jesus and where we are now with all of the different sects of Christianity, as an example. Um, it, the whole message can can kind of get confused over the years from its sort of deeper purpose or where it started. And that's, I mean, even if you start with that, how do you create, how do you create consistent, how do you create a, a business or a culture that maintains focus on that purpose? Well, yeah, you have to, you have to make the business case for humanity, which is really the purpose of the work that, that we do in, in my company. You, you, yeah. you can't just say humanity for humanity's sake. It, it is, uh, there are many, just, just the fiduciary duty of people running companies is to pay attention to the, the revenue and the margin and the growth side of this. And, uh, and it becomes a dehumanizing process to do that. So you have to make the business case. You have to say, listen, we're going to reposition. This is what we do. We reposition these three cultures, employee, manager, and customers as newly precious workable assets to a company. Yeah. Because once a company sees culture as an asset, the company will protect the company will protect anything that's an asset, especially if they just learned how to get more out of it. Well, you can't protect these assets, these three cultures, without protecting the humanity they represent, and probably without discovering or rediscovering your own along the way. Ultimately, we work with a company, and our clients are, are many of the, the most successful companies in the world. We work with a company. And at the end of this whole arc of working with them, they don't really care about people any more than they used to, but they treat them like they do. We'd still chalk that up as a win. At least that's progress, man. But right. um, otherwise, otherwise, you're dealing with well. You can't teach someone to care, right? I mean, how are you going to do that unless they well, have to go through I mean, some sort of life? You got to start by getting them to care about themselves, right? And right. Uh, um, you know, there are six words, talking about managers, there, there are six words that describe any manager's job description from executive to entry level in any company, in any country, in any position. These words are never actually spoken aloud and they're never written down where anybody could see them, but every manager knows this. The six words that describe every manager's job description are, if it sucks, suck it up. There's a manager's job right there. And so there's this... There's this, you know, denial of humanity, subordination of values, you know, in order to serve the company. It starts there and then you pass that stuff down and uh, it just becomes allowable. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it just is just. But, so, it, but it, at the same time, it sort of bottles up resentment. I mean, you can't get away from right, right. The, the emotional impact that it's having, even if you don't show that emotion or whatever. And that's what we that's what we have to do. I keep thinking have. of that George Clooney character when he's like yeah. he's traveling around the world uh laying people off. That's his job, and he's right. just basically right. torturing him to do yeah. this work. Uh I think it was called up in the air. Right. But if but, if you yeah. are if you are financially reinforced for that, and so you feel you you know, 
Okay. It's your job. It's yeah, your job. It's not just yeah. my job. It's the way I take care of my family. It's the way I yeah. count. I keep score about all the all the effort I um, to get to where I am in my career and stuff. So I must be doing the right thing. You're being played. You know, you're being played in all sorts of ways, but it's a relentless, seductive fog that you're in. I mean, I can't tell you how many managers, I mean, like intelligent, mature human beings who have said to me, yeah, I have families of value. Um, that's why I spend all my time working, never see my family. And what I do for a living is kill the competition, which is other people and their families. And and you just, you know, like you say, your dog gush, you just give them that gust look and they go, all right, all right, wait, wait, can, can, can we just take, take two? Um, but they're in it and it's reinforced. Yeah. And listen, and any, anybody who is trying, has any role for you at all stands to profit from you not having a strong sense of self. And if you don't know what's true for you, everyone else has unusual influence. So the company and all its stakeholders, you know, try, you know, they say family, <laughs> this is your family right here, man, right here. So protect your family, make your number. And you go, oh, yeah, okay. So it's it's not it's not a simple thing. It's seductive. It's it's it it preys on the search for meaning and then self validation. It manipulates that stuff. Um, nobody nobody unless you're talking about real heinous company. Nobody in that whole chain is going. Yeah, I'm just going to kill the spirit of people, and we'll put that in the annual report. Right, right. Nobody wants nobody wants to do that. Right. It's just the sort of the mechanism of of the business. Well, you ever, you ever wonder, like you look at the bad ones, man, the, the ones that are really the, the iconic, the Enrons and the, the world, yeah. Cup, all, all those things. How did a culture let that evil under the door? How, how did it actually agree to conspire in stuff that was obviously wrong? Uh, any scale of right or wrong, what you learned at your mama's knee, you know, just wrong and hurtful to people. It wasn't through one heinous act. It, it was little paper cuts to the soul that went unnoticed, untreated, and infected people's true sense of self. And it's, 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 you know, standing outside it. But how many of us have been in relationships? Man, I've talked to people, not me and not you, but everybody else. How, how many have been in relationships where you're telling somebody about it and it was just like the most abusive, horrific, like waste of time and energy and soul sucking. They go, wow, how long were you with that person? <laughs> 11 years. Anyway, right. It's when you're in it, it's, it's like, you know. Well, it's, it's hard, hard to see because that. it's not. And, and it, you know, if you spend time around like those executives in that situation, they're probably nice people. I mean, they'd probably be like, oh, these guys yeah. are great. You know, whatever. They they, are, you yeah. Know, yeah. They're friendly. Yeah. They're and, and they're, conversational. They're, they're, they're hurting and, too, man. Listen, when you're. Yeah. When you're when everybody's kind of hurting. Right? Everybody's hurting. When you're clawing your way to the top in your career, you can be convinced that everything will be figured out and fulfilling when you get there. And when you get there and find things still suck. And and now you have, you have all the apparent rewards of the job, so you can't really admit what doesn't feel good, and and you still don't have the answers. You're still not getting what you thought must be out there somewhere, and there's no place else to go. People jump from the top floors in buildings, not the bottom, man. It's it's hurting them too. Yeah, I mean that's where they jump from. It's a, it's a lot of pressure being at the top. I'm I'm sure. Well, yeah. I want to go back. I want to go back 25 years ago to when you were talking to those guys sitting at the top <laughs> and you brought up this idea 
Yeah. yeah. And they were like, what is this hippie talking about? Or I don't know what you look like at the time, but <laughs> I'm just imagining this what, sort of. I think it was more than 25 hair. years ago. I wasn't wearing flowers in my hair, but I definitely had the don't mess with me about something I'm not even sure yeah. of vibe. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, what how, what happened next? Like, how did you how did you sort of convince? I mean, well, I mean, next, what happened? Uh, I tell you this, and I tell you a quick antidote if you want. Uh, yeah. uh, so, what happened is I went back from that meeting, and uh, um, and and I said, well, you know, where do humans gather in business? And that led me to, well, it must be culture. But again, people don't know what culture means now. Back then, no, it's like nobody was even really talking about it. So, um, I I didn't graduate high school, man. So, but I know how to read. You know, I'm talking to you from our home library. There's over five thousand books in here, and uh, uh, um, so I started to read anthropology, study culture, and then I read from Margaret Mead to Levi Strauss. I read everything I could find. And it was fascinating, but nothing was really making sense to me. And so I created my own hypotheses to say, well, if this was a culture, then would this be happening and not happening? And it seemed to make sense to me. So we have a saying in our company, born of ignorance, backed by science. So I make this stuff up because it makes sense to me. And then I have to sweat it like a meth addict as 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 we do ruthless discovery. To, to, so I thought, well, who is the most credible authority on culture in the world that I could send this thesis to. And I figured the Oxford Department of Anthropology. So I wrote a letter and I wish I had a copy of this letter because I remember the first line in the letter I wrote, I didn't know anybody there. I just wrote to the chair of the other was, please don't hurt me. That was, that was the first line. Like, but I thought, listen, I know this is wrong. What are the chances that some bonehead in a room in San Francisco has come up with a completely new valid definition of culture? And so I said, I just want to know, is this the wrongest thing you've ever heard in your life? Is there even a syllable in this whole letter that is is accurate and used correctly? And I didn't hear anything for months. And this letter came back and I thought it's going to be like the prison censors have been at it, right? And And what the letter said is, you're defining culture as an organism, as a self-protective organism that is created when people, a bunch of people share the same living conditions, so they band together to share beliefs about the rules of survival and emotional prosperity. How do we all survive in the same jungle, in the same tribe, with the same chief? And then knowing we're going to be okay, how do we get rewarded emotionally and avoid punishment? But it's an it's a organism that exists solely to protect itself. We've never thought of it that way, but that's completely valid. I thought, holy, I have my own, mom, I have my own definition of culture, right? <laughs> um, I wasn't going to get laid behind that, you know, there's not, you know, but I had it, right? Did and, you make and, shirts, t-shirts? I tried, I tried to go, hey, baby, live around here. So when, when I say culture to you, yeah, okay. Um, so you're going to, yeah, that didn't work. So, um, but we didn't have a business model. So blah, 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 short form. From there, uh, I said, well, if this is what a culture is, there have to be three cultures in business. Managers have to be a distinct culture from the general employee pop. And customers have in common uh, a, a dependent relationship with a company, so they're a culture too. We still didn't have a business model, and then I thought, well, well, what if, what if there was one problem within each of these cultures that had the biggest impact on any company, but that even the biggest, smartest companies have been unable to resolve? And what if we could solve those? 
wouldn't that be a business problem? I didn't know if there was a problem. We didn't have the solution. But to skip the suspense, we uh, we cracked the code on those problems, and that became our business. And and you know, twenty five years later, forty four countries, billions and billions of dollars of impact on companies. Um, so did so it it sounds like it's really started from just a question or just sort of like a well, what if? Yeah, what if it was? So it really started from this idea that you're seeing people getting diminished in business and saying, well, that's obviously, we got to fix that. Yeah. And that led me to to some sort of organizing framework of like, it can't just be humans in general. Let's, let's, put, let's put a perimeter around them to make this something we can work on. And that led me to culture and studies of culture led me to my own definition, which led me to getting that vetted, which led to the, the business model, which led to two and a half decades of absolute proof about the accuracy of the business model. Did did you ever feel like people just were like, whatever, dude? Like they thought you were crazy? <laughs> I, I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, does that still happen? You go in and you're like, hey, what, culture. And what, everyone's like, what time oh, is it now? And not so much about? Now. Well, you know, it's not that they're, they're a little hesitant to disc culture, like in a direct conversation. Um, Right, they're, they're um, not going to diss culture, but then no, because that could that could come winging back at them. Um, yeah, but but companies like 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 at the beginning of Q one, that day one Q one of of this year, pretty much every company looks down the road to to see where they have to be by the last day of the last quarter, and one of the roads that companies go down these days because you really kind of at least have to is culture, you know, and mm-hmm. and. Because apparently it's better to have a good culture than a bad culture. So, so you got to have, we got to have some campaign or some, you know, check the box on culture. They don't really they know where the road goes. It's some fog and shrouded feeder road that exists for some mysterious purpose. But that's one little road. They all know the main highway, which is business performance. And they know exactly what they've got to hit by the last uh, day in the last quarter of the year. What the, what what our message is is then you got to combine the roads and it, it's there's no better way of getting down the main road than by harnessing the the full commitment of your culture because you plan whatever strategy you want that strategy is going to change focus on building the engine to get you down that road even if the bridge is out or you know there's this or that mm-hmm. and you're going to be successful but it is we have to make that business case we have to use data we have yeah. to we have to make it relevant. To people who think they're, you know, their priority over all priorities, understandably, is to drive the performance of the business. And we don't argue with that. You know, let us get in there where agents provocateur, but but we're gonna come at you in the language that you're thinking about. You remember that far side cartoon of this guy uh, chastising his dog and he's saying, Ginger, bad dog, Ginger, you're not supposed to in the garbage, Ginger, you're not supposed to eat that, Ginger. And then it's Ginger hearing, Blah, 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 ginger, blah, 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 ginger, blah, ginger. Uh, all they can hear is ginger, okay? So <laughs> we're going to talk ginger, and we'll start there. We'll, yeah, so we'll yeah. you know, and uh, so anyway. Well, I know, uh, it's, I know it's been really successful. I know you've been in a lot of different businesses, and you have, you know, a ton of amazing um, testimonials on your site and all the work that you've done um, over the years. What What sort of stands out for you as, like, maybe some of the, I don't know if you can share specifically any clients that you work with, but what, 
tell us a story of something that stands out for you that you know you thought you were kind of up against the odds and then it sort of you had a breakthrough or something I, you know there's there's i'm not i'm not being an arrogant snot because we're humbled by this work we really are uh but there's been so many um i i, I was thinking i um I remember the first time we brought this to Africa. When when we first started, we were told by somebody we really respected uh, who said, you know, there's going to be a small, dedicated audience for what you do. It's all going to be in the U.S. because you have this U.S. point of view and the way you talk and the way, you know, all this stuff. Very American-centric. Um, it's not going to play in Europe. It certainly won't play in Asia. And it won't play with a lot of big companies. Well, we just blew all that stuff out. Like I said, 44 countries, uh, 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 clients from A to Z. But I remember the first time we took this to Africa. And um, I remember being in a meeting with the executive team of, of one of the biggest companies on the African continent. And this was the executive team of the division responsible for 55% of the company's revenue. And I remember um, we have this process, as you know, called Bury My Heart at Conference Room B. It's one of our solutions that in order to create emotional commitment and manager culture, you've got to let managers bring their own values, their personal values to work and not be fearful or intimidated that they won't prioritize the company. Uh, but anyway, most people, as, as you know, don't even know what their values are. They're, they may be driven or driven crazy by not meeting them, but they don't really know what they are. So anyway... I want, I want to talk a little about that too, but I'll, I'm not going to interrupt your story. I'm going to go back to that. All right. So in this process, <laughs> there's a guy who's the CEO of this team, again, responsible for more than half of the company's revenue, which is, again, one of the largest companies on the second largest continent in the world. And uh, it's the first thing we do over there, first time in Africa. And uh, he's he's a great cat, and everybody who works for him, the executive team, recognizes he's a great cat. He's just a good good human, you know, and nobody doubts that. But they can't – the sonar just pings off this guy without a reading. They can't get a read on him, even though they're working for him. They work with him every day. They just, like – they know he's a good guy. They know he's good at what he does, but they just can't figure out, you know, who he really is. And it's driving him loony because, you know, they're a culture too. And they just know, how do we be safe in this guy's world, right? So one of the, the points in this process, and it's not a light thing. I mean, we just, we whack the snot at him before we can get to this this point. But where where what's your earliest memory of like where you think your values came from? And this guy was talking about growing up in apartheid in South Africa. And, uh, his, he had two sisters and a, an older brother. Uh, they're all the sisters were a little older than he was. And the brother was was much older. And during apartheid, the brother really took a stand against apartheid and was a wanted man by the government. Really considered an enemy by the government. And they were looking for him, so he had moved out of the house long ago. And they didn't. They, he didn't even tell them where they were, just for security. Then, right? so it's like three o'clock in the morning, one morning, and there's a pounding on the door. And uh, it wakes up everybody. So it's him. He's seven years old. He's got his sisters, which are like 13 and 15, and his mom. And they go to the door. The door slams open, and it's the army looking for the brother. And so you have, like, maybe professional soldiers, but you have a lot of, like, hopped-up kids with with uh, with machine guns and, and itchy trigger fingers. 
And where's the brother? And they slam the family up against the wall. And uh, um, they don't know where he is. But, you know, in the look, this, you know, they could basically murder that entire family and they, they'd get away with it. And everybody in the room knows that. And you have this moment where you go, is this going to go as bad as it could possibly go? And um, and he said, the, the especially the young soldiers were almost like teenagers, you know, again, with fully armed and, you know, fingers on the triggers are looking at the sisters who just woken up out of a deep sleep. So they're still in their like underwear and stuff. And they're trying to cover themselves, you know, these guys looking and they're so petrified that they're sweating. Their underwear is falling down. They're trying to, and it's just, it, it's just like, this is right on the edge of going horribly wrong. Oh, he's seven years old, man. He can't do a thing about it. You know, I mean, even if he was 17 or 27, you know, you got, you got people in there with guns, right? And, uh, um, so eventually the tension just backs down just a bit because clearly they don't know where he is. They're, and, uh, or if they did, they're not going to tell him and he's not in the house. So they leave. And, uh, anyway, he's, he's just in this moment recalling this, which is something his people, his executive team has never heard from him at all. They had no idea, right? Um, and and uh, we said so. You know what was what was the uh, the learning? I mean, you know that that came from that. And he said, "You never show anybody anything." And it was like you could see the team just go, "Oh my god!" And him go, "Oh my god!" I've been carrying that since I was seven years old. And and to realize that, and we've had equivalent. And we could spend hours talking about the profound stuff that's been revealed. The only thing that has not happened in a very my heart of conference room B session, and I keep threatening to end the entire thing uh, if uh, if it does. Nobody's yet confessed to a murder. That's what I'm waiting. <laughs> for, you know, but short of that, we've had everything possible. But that it would leap continents, and we worked in Europe and Asia and Latin America. So bury my heart, bury my heart of conference room B. That's your. Um... I mean, that's your big, that was your big hit, right? With New York Times bestselling book. And the, that was the first book. Yeah. The first book. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, and, and the, you know, and you do, you said you do sessions now with that. So that's, that's. Well, we amazing. did the sessions before I wrote the book. I you wouldn't have the written the book first. If, if we, if we didn't know it would work. So, yeah. So when yeah. I was reading the book, I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I, I suggest everybody pick up a copy of it, obviously. And it's, it's, um, it's awesome because you kind of you can kind of find things out about yourself that you never knew really and i love i love the process of 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 kind of discovering your own personal values did did so did that come out of doing several sessions where you just like this is something obviously people aren't bringing their values and so. yeah yeah more more than that i mean we had, we had put tens of thousands of managers through these sessions before i wrote the book and and uh um yeah, it was amazing. It, it was just amazing. It was it was amazing. Just the either the lack of awareness or the the willing subordination, um, or or managers thinking, well, I'm a manager and a human being, but I'm also management, and I'm so the I'm the honor guard of the corporate organism, and and managers living their own values are a threat. So I'll mess with my own ability to live my values. In the name of management, I won't allow that to happen. So even just crazy, just, crazy just suppressing your own. It doesn't. It's it's yeah, get, yeah. getting back to that 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 sort of like psychopathic organism of corporate corporate psychopath, right, or whatever you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's but, a, uh, yeah yeah. But I I mean that's for me that was like kind of a, an awesome 
you know, workshop. I mean, you kind of the way the book unfolds, it helps you sort of find that in yourself, which is is really awesome. And and um, and I've of course sat through one of the sessions too, which is uh, just an amazing experience. But um, yeah, I mean, w- t- take somebody through that a little bit, like it, finding your own personal values and how that might be different than than sort of what you th- what you think it. They generally are. I mean, you, you're told, uh, again, anybody who's trying to sell you anything stands to profit from you not having a stronger sense of self. Because if you're not on your own agenda, you're afraid everybody else's. So if somebody needs you to do something, it's it's not all with evil intent. But anybody who has a role for you in your life that wants you to play your part. And then you have the larger ones. Be a manager. Be an employee. Um, let us scare the piss out of you to get your vote by presenting ourselves as a safe alternative. You know, let us make you feel small to sell you some piece of junk to feel bigger for a little while. Any of that, that is so relentless um, that it is difficult. It's just like our whole life like that. It I is. Mean, it's it is. like every day. Every uh. day. Man, and it, it's <laughs> done by people who are working harder at it and are better skilled at it than you may be in protecting yourself against that. And it, it is this relentless, seductive fog. So by the time you get managers in there to say, listen, this has nothing to do with your maturity or your professionalism or your competency. It's hard to know this stuff, man. It's hard. So the first process we have to do is like kicking off the dirt um, uh, that's been piled upon what you really believe in all your life. And and uh, and then if you are if you're in a position in, in a company, it, you know, we deal a lot with managers, but it doesn't have to be a manager where where you have to balance. How do I, how do I be successful and stay sane at the same time? Well, man, that you're going to have to let something go, and so people become emotionally detached without even realizing it. I mean, there's a party in your head; you're not invited. You don't even necessarily, in a bad company. You may realize I suit up every day for the detachment factory and leave the best who I am at home. But in a good company that's doing all this stuff for you, you may not even realize it. Man. And if you're emotionally detached, you're doing that because you think it's a safe thing to do. I mean, in any relationship, any love, anything, if something is not working for you in a relationship and you go, okay, you know what? This is just untenable. I can't. No. Now, and you have the epiphany that it's never going to change. Like you can't do anything to change it. And you don't believe the other party can or will either. Any human being in any relationship, including your relationship with your company, you got two choices. Leave. Leave the relationship or stay if you feel you have to and detach emotionally. And so for most people, they've just stayed in their company and detached emotionally. So we got the first thing we got to convince you is the bigger risk is to remain emotionally detached. You did that because you think it's safe. Look what you're giving up. Look at how malleable you are. Look at how you're showing up to the people in the rest of your life who depend on you to be who you really are. Look at how you've limited your personal fulfillment and impact. You're playing for huge stakes and you just gamble them away. You know, you hoard them away, really. So and is there a third Is there a third option there that's more like, is, you said there's yeah, two, yeah. I mean, there's a third option. What's the third option? Well, I don't think there's a, I don't really think there's a third option. And any, if, if anybody listening to this now thinks back to any relationship they've ever been in that where it didn't work, what are your choices? You stand up and go, sorry, I'm out. It's just not working for me and it's not going to get any better. But if for whatever reason, and it could just be like, 
you know, I'm guilty. I should have been able to make this work. Maybe it's me. Or you think, man, the consequences of my life without this relationship are just so exhausting and frightening. I don't even want to. Or you, you think, I don't know if any other relationship could be any better. I might as well just stay in here. All those choices mean I stay but detach. And I think those are the only two. What Barry My Heart at Conference Room B does is say, listen, we're not telling you to leave your company. This may be the best gig you ever have, or you may, you know, whatever, but we're telling you how to make this work, how to turn your values into emotional commitment that delivers a new story of performance. They yeah, get yeah. your company support. Your company may go, what is this whole shiny, happy people thing you have going on? But if it's if it's a reasonable thing that produces business results, you'll get the air cover for it. So, but first of all, we have to get managers to come to terms with, oh my God, I'm a, a I'm a grown up, and I've fallen for this. You know, it's it's like it's like yeah. we feel like we're the bomb squad, and you got to clip the blue wire first, otherwise you'll trigger cognitive dissonance. It's so big, reimagining the entire relationship. With your, let alone well, any I, other. I mean, it's. It, I mean, it's one thing to be, you know, even just to know your personal values, to really know what your personal values are, to yeah. really be able to voice that. I mean, I think that that's such an important step in any relationship, and it's something we we often don't do. I mean, I think even you know, being a whether it's an intimate relationship or a relationship with your coworkers or your company, it's like most of the time people don't say, hey, this is what's really important to me. Or, hey, let me tell you a little about my story, where I came from, what's the most important yeah, thing yeah. to me, what yeah. I'm living for, what what you know I find fulfillment in. Or it's it's something we don't really do or we don't really value. Yeah, we don't, man. It's amazing. When we go through this as part of it, we do a simple reduction exercise to start off going, okay, here's a list of like 50, 50 common human values and a basic definition. So pick... Pick the ones that are 10 and most important to you and use this definition or define it however you want, or just write in something that's not on the list. Go through 10 and go, all right, well then go from 10 to five. The five that, that mean the most to you and people go through that exercise and we go, okay, go from five to three, the three that absolutely define you most as a human being. And look at what you have to give up to go from five to three. Not that you don't have all 10, but if we don't focus you on a few, you don't have a chance of making this work. I, the way I remembered it, it was something like you're you're in an airplane and it's about to crash, or it was like, or you had like th three minutes to do it, or not even like one no, minute or something. Yeah, we don't <laughs> use the airway, but yeah, we don't give much time because we want to make the point of people go, yeah, I know my values, I know my values, yeah, yeah, right? and then you're yeah. sitting there with your five and you're going, I don't know this I one, no way, that one, no way. Ah. But even if they get that, because we start off with that and we intentionally give them a little bit of time, the first exercise, and we go on and on and on, so you get that certainty. I can't tell you how many people go, all right, these are my three values. I got these. And then they they leave that day and they come back the second of two days. And they yeah, go, I okay, changed. They're not, those, not, those are not my values. <laughs> these are my values. And then, and then how many people go, oh, shit, those are not my values either. What, like, In fact, and finally, they just go, listen, I have to pick flexibility as a value or I'm home because I don't have a clue. <laughs> well, once you at least get that, and you wonder, yeah. how could I be like at this point in my life, having been played the way I've been played? And what is the cost of that? That's then the motivation. But first, we've got to create the willingness to, to do something about it. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that's really powerful right there in, in itself, because, you know, it, it, on the path to doing anything, 
I think as an entrepreneur, as you're building a business or if you're a creator or whatever you're doing in your life on the path to doing that, you have to know kind of what you want before you can create yeah. anything. Yeah. And I feel like, help. you know, that's, you know, a lot of times I'll go like, I really want this or I want that or, but, you know, or maybe, you know, yeah, you want the big house or you want the, I want to be able to park wherever I want in my car and not care if I get a ticket because I have a money pay. Is that what you want? But what, what do you really want? You know, do you want that's the right. stability? Do you want the the power that gives you, do you want to have the impact? And those are the kind of example values that, you you know, you put out there as, you know, I know a lot of people pick family, but I wonder if, if they pick family because when you're trying to like get rid of family off your list, you just see your kids going, really dad? You're yeah, getting yeah. rid of family? Yeah. And we, you gotta we, be like, well, okay, I'll keep my family. And I love actually, my kids more than anything, you know? We did this in a huge room with, with about... <laughs> 250 managers and happened to be a, 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 a man and woman who actually worked together in the same company. And we asked, so, so um, what are the three you finally capped and what are the two you had to give up to get there? And this guy sitting next to his wife, this bonehead said, and I gave up family. And man, <laughs> the temperature in that room dropped like 40 degrees. Like you just wanted to go, no. Um, but it doesn't mean you don't care about family. But, you know, again, we've all. It's tough. I mean, it's. all learned of things about living there. And, you know, and that's, that's. it. It's, well, it's such important work to do that, to really look, look at, well, what is it that you really want? And why do you really want that? And what yeah, are you yeah. really valuing here? And, and not be ashamed about it, you know, and that, that's, that's tough to, for him in that moment to go, okay, well, I had to, I put aside family, but. You know, I think is it. I'm trying to remember if it was I because I just I just read this book from Jim Quick. It's called Limitless. I highly recommend that book too. But he he talks about bringing your values and and expressing it to people. And um, you know, and he mentions that like, well, family might be your value, for example, but it's not really fa- it's not really your family, but it's what the family gives you, right? Yeah, it's like this yeah, feeling. Right, it might yeah. be belonging. It might be identity. It might be just the love sure, and the caring sure. and the nurturing. It might be you know, so sometimes it's even digging deeper into what yeah, you really exactly. want, what you really value. I think that's it's a, it's a, yeah, it's not the dictionary definition to the world. It's yeah. what it gives you in your life. But, you know, when you think about it, so why is it so important to live your values in life? It's because your values are your very own definition of what life looks like when you live it the way you want to. Your values are your very own source of safety, hope and renewal. And so why should you live those values at work? Well, that's an excellent question to ask if your attorneys are planning an insanity defense because you're spending over half your life at work and you're not getting the time back. I, listen, man, I, I don't want to come on your your podcast and appear as an emotionally evolved human being. That's actually a violation of my parole. I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Um, but, but I will tell you this. I would tell you anybody who's listening or watching this, I would tell you this. This is your one and only precious life. Somebody's going to decide how it's going to be lived. And that person had better be you. So, yeah, you have to take these lessons, and especially since some of these lessons were really painful to learn. And, you know, if they're going to have any return on that unwilling investment for you, you've got to learn. Now, you have to make the case for your ability to live those values. Just you say, I'm going to live those values. doesn't always work in, in an environment with other influences. And that's what we do. We say, you know, those are human beings. Like if you this, this was Google Earth, 
Those are the human beings. Those human beings represent a culture. If the culture is committed, then business performance is assured. So it all starts with you got to let people be themselves and, and not fear that. It's not licensing chaos. It's ensuring control. The company cannot always be the first cause or it's not really a cause at all. People practicing true fulfillment in the company also has to be a cause. Yeah. So well said, man. Well we, said. We, we never get tired of sending the message and, and, and really yeah. 44 countries and the situation what, you, you, is the you same. You have a moment in your in your childhood or your life that you kind of source for that energy, or yeah. is there is there a thing that you you know you I, found I'm, in the work that yeah, I'm 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 such an introvert. I, I really well, I have five thousand. Well, books. you don't have to share. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> I I and I put it in the bury my heart book, and I I I put it in, I took it out, I put it in, I took it out, I put it in, I took it out. And finally, I just thought, and listen, I'm asking somebody else to go there. I, I got to go there too. And really, man, I, I'm such an, give me a stick of gum and a mirror and I'm busy all day. I have no need for human contact, but I felt I really had to do it. And uh, yeah, there, there are defining moments and, and you don't necessarily realize them. You don't necessarily realize how far they go. And they're not always major like, oh, this major thing happened. Right. The actual moment of truth could be one thing, and it wasn't even when it happened. It's like a year or two later, five years later, you're sitting on a bench in a park or something happens and you're driving and it just hits you. That can, oh my God, this is what I've learned about living. And that's that's like, it's different for everybody. It's not always on the big dramatic scale of, of what, but you know, it's your life. And I gotta tell you, once once you once that epiphany hits you, once you go, oh my God, this is why. This is why I took the road less traveled. This is why this doesn't work for me, or I can't make this work for me. Or this one time that I haven't touched again was just so gorgeous and profound for me. Once once you get that, putting the dismissal of it back in the box is a pretty hard thing to do. Um, so, I mean, there's some beauty that happens once you're aware and, and, you know, part of that is you have to forgive yourself for subordinating it. And, and because what do you get out of that? What do you get out of that? The thing is that this is your life and it's a profound experience and it's your own experience and you've learned something about it and you have the opportunity. We go through this exercise and I would encourage anybody uh, watching this podcast, do the same thing. Think about the one person in your life who's had the most negative impact on you, because we all have them. Now, now, maybe that person was in a very specific common role, and maybe they did it deliberately. Or maybe you just happened to connect with them. They wouldn't even realize it. Maybe they didn't even intend to do it. But they had the most negative shaping impact on you. And we ask people to really think about that, because, again, we all have them. And then think about the one person who, in your life who's had the most positive impact on you. Again, they may have had a role, mother, uh, father, uh, sibling, uh, teacher, coach, minister, whatever. Or they may not even have realized that they had an impact in your life and and that they were a role model and the connection was brief and and no clue. But we've all had them. You think about the negative person in your life and, and how that influence made you feel insecure, diminished, anxious, self-doubting, don't not believing you deserve to be able to live your values, whatever it is. And then think about 
how it made you feel when you encountered the the person had the most positive impact, which is, you know, whatever positive word you want to use about certainty and, and, and the right to be yourself. And our point is certainly for managers, you are now in a position to make your people feel either way, the way you felt. And I would right. say that's for everybody. It's not just to be a manager. You go out into the world. You yeah. are in a position to make somebody feel either one of those ways. And if you can't find any other reason to do it, let your basic sense of humanity and contribution um, at least go, I deserve and I need to understand who I am. And I need to be okay with however I got there and however long it took me to get there. It doesn't matter. And I need to do in some way make it allowable for somebody else to do the same. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, and, and I think it can happen overnight. It doesn't matter how old you are in your life or where you are in your life. You know, the Dickens effect is real if you can sort of allow yourself to, you know, yeah. to just transform. It can happen overnight. So it can. Yeah, it really well, is. It, yeah. So that's, that's a great, I mean, it's a really great message, Stan. Thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything else you want to share with everyone before we kind of close it out or? Yeah, uh, probably I'm like along the same theme. Um, we direct this to companies and managers, but I direct this to anybody, you know, these, these tough times that we're living in and the uncertainty that accompanies them, um, crazy making. But despite that, there's two things we know about these tough, uncertain times. One is they won't last forever. And the second is the story of how you stood up to them will. Now, you're going to be living with that story for a long time. It's time to start writing it so it ends the way you want it to. Um, and I always think that the best place to start is, is, is if you reflect on, on the gift of life, and the, how do you ever give back for, for the incredible gift of life? How do you, what do you do? Well, I mean, you know, you, 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 you give back to those who are less fortunate than you. Um, you practice kindness and empathy and respect. You strive to make the world both a better place and not a worse one. Um, and, and that, that's, that's, I would say that for a company, for a manager, but for any of us, um, uh, be dependent upon, I mean, what's most important is your humanity. Be dependent upon to be trusted, to be cared, to, to care about what matters most, which is your, your humanity. And, and really, every one of us is going to have to answer a question. Having lived through these times is going to have to answer a question. You're going to have to answer it to your company, and if you're a manager, to your culture, uh, uh, to your community, to your children, to your conscience. Who were you? when everything inside of you and around you was finally tested. You're going to have to live with that answer. So, so be human first in all things you do. Just be human first. And the other thing I would say just very briefly, and I wish I had originated this. Um, I, I, you know, I figure if I say it enough, I actually will because people go, I heard it from Stan, so it's my thing. But it's not my thing. It's this author, Terry Pratchett. He said, give someone fire and they're warm for a day. Set someone on fire and they're warm for the rest of their life. 
So I, I leave you with that profound thought. <laughs> I, I love it. I thought you were going to say, show them how to build a fire. Nah, they have it. Just light them on fire. Just light them on fire. For the rest of their life, which is about 40 (laughs) seconds, they will be warm. Yes. Yeah. So go light someone on fire. Um, (laughs) Oh, I love it. All right, man. That was a lot of wisdom. Thanks so much for sharing everything. I know you're out there fighting a good fight there. I know you are. Yeah, we're here for humanity. Yeah. Doing our best. Yeah, it's time to show up. That's it. Yeah. All right, man. All right, man. Well, good to talk. I'm honored that you uh, you asked me to be part of this, and uh, yeah, yeah. And there we have it, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Stan Slap. Thank you so much, Stan, for being here today. Really awesome having you. Love hearing your point of view. thank you all for tuning in listening in to in the chair with bear this has been a passion project we're on the hunt for that human experience for that feeling gets us into the flow the things that inspire us hoping you feel inspired stay tuned next week we talk to a hollywood actress All the music produced here in our studio. Actually, I'm just sitting here playing the guitar right now. (laughs) Thanks again.